Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Organization of Nature Evolutionaries monthly teleseminar. I'm Pam Montgomery, and I will be your host for today. And I am so pleased to introduce to you this lovely woman who I have known for so many years. She's like one of my first-time homies and um, and and big-time teacher of mine in my life. She's had so much influence on me in my life, and I'm so excited to bring Brooke Medicine Eagle to you all today in this presentation. And Brooke is going to be sharing with us the Honorable Harvest, Wisdom of the Buffalo. And some of you might not really know about the buffalo and how important the buffalo has been to this, this land of ours here in America, and Brooke's going to share some of that with you today and Brooke is this awesome like she's an earth keeper she's a visionary she's this amazing singer songwriter and she does shamanic practice and we could call her like a sacred ecologist and she travels all over the world bringing these amazing teachings that she has to people to people all across the globe um She's written uh, two amazing books, uh, Buffalo Woman Comes Singing and The Last Ghost Dance. Both of them I highly recommend. You, if you haven't seen them, then you, then you need to check out those books. And Brooke is, uh, you know, she's not only is she this amazing, like, earth-based person and, 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 um, and uh, helps heal the earth and people and teaches and brings these teachings forward of how to live in a sustainable way. Um, but she's, she's just really like a, a, a Gaian citizen, a person that travels the world bringing this understanding of sustainable living both you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Like how do we live sustainably on this planet right now in all ways? So I am so thrilled to introduce you to Brooke Medicine Eagle. So, Brooke, thank you so, so, so much for, for being with us today. Well, I'm pretty excited about it, Pam. I really honor you and your work. Um, I know we've done a lot of things together, and uh, I have learned so much from you as well. And uh, I'm thrilled with uh, connecting to this organization that is such a beautiful one that's offering so many good things. So I'm really honored to be here, and I greet all of those who are joining us now and later, and uh, just really thrilled to be here. Well, thank you so much. I know that you love to always begin things in a very um, ceremonial way, in a way that sets the tone, sets the container in a good way. So I want to invite you to do that now. All right. I'm going to sing a a song. It's a 10,000-year-old song that came from a grave site in the southeastern part of America. And one of the wonderful things I will just say in the beginning, which I might forget later on, is that Um, It's really more and more and more important for us to remember to honor our ancestors. Uh, There are whole new levels of science talking about the influence of our ancestors and certainly the oldest and finest of my teachers and and, uh, the mystic wisdom keepers are reminding us that our ancestors and that energy is so vitally important. And uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to mention some more about that. But this is really an honoring for the ancestors of this land and for all our relations. The great spirit, great mother, creator, father light, we give thanks for this absolutely beautiful day on earth. We give thanks for this lovely, lovely home planet you have given us, Lady Gaia. And we're so grateful to be here and to have the opportunity to to step up and really learn how to live and step into the circle of life to become full citizens of this wonderful circle of life so that we can um, be the stewards, the caretakers, the helpers um, who maintain and honor and love this land. And so we're thankful this day for the opportunity to, to share. And I ask that I be a hollow bone to bring through the highest and finest that will be of service to each of these people living and as well through them to the Mother Earth and to all our relations. Matakriasin, oh, all my relations. 
Thank you, Brooke, so much for beginning our our time today in this way. It's, it always um, feels to me like when we begin in this way and end in this way, it's just it, it just holds us in such a sacred space. So thank you so much for that. Now I know that um, that you have you know you you were born and raised in Montana and have spent so many 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 years there. And but you're also you you're on, you're on the move. I I know in these last few years you've been traveling so much and been in Europe and and all kinds of different places, bringing your teachings there. But it sounds like you're you're cycling back around. It's the spirals turning again, and and you're coming back home again. So could you tell us like where you've come from and where you're headed and and what this what's going on here at this home ranch of yours? Well, it's kind of uh, exciting. You know, I was raised um, on the uh, Crow Reservation in southeastern Montana on my dad's original Indian allotment. And um, it, was a, it was basically a homestead ranch. My mom and dad came there when there was nothing there and uh, put up a tent and lived for a while and then moved an old uh, log cabin in there. And that's where I was raised, was on that beautiful land. And um, I really fell in love with, with the earth there. We were isolated. There, there, was a little, there were other ranches around about five miles away in different directions. Uh, there was a little Indian village 10 miles away. But when I was a child, we didn't have um, we didn't have running water, we didn't have electricity. Um, often we didn't even have a car. And so when we would travel, we'd travel by horse and buggy. So what's interesting is that you know I've you might dad lived in the 1880s. Uh, you know we carried water from a spring and uh, and did all our farming and ranching with horses, raised cattle, and um, so I lived a lifestyle that was very very much like the 1880s. And then the funny part of it is I ended up in San Francisco in the 70s, just right after the hippie generation with the, you know, the awakening and burgeoning consciousness that was there. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty old as it is, but in a certain way, I cover a lot more years and territory than even the 75 that I carry uh, in my body. So um, anyway, I started out uh, there on that ranch and um, we just lived outside. Um, we played outside, lived outside, worked hard. You know, we worked hard on that ranch uh, and helped all the time. And when there was any free time, I'd grab one of my horses and, and just ride the high trails up into the mountain country. And one of the places I absolutely adored, it was like the like a center point of my life and in a way remains that, is, was a spring, this beautiful, beautiful spring coming out of a mountainside there. And uh, we had, interestingly enough, put this old bathtub there. I don't know how in the world we got that in there uh, over the years, but it became the water tank for all the animals that were around there. So it was this funny kind of a contrast, this wild, beautiful country, aspen groves and and exquisite springs coming down, you know, water coming down out of the mountain. And here's this wonderful bathtub, but full of the most absolutely pure, amazing water. And over the years, uh, we've had that water tested, and it has some kind of extra special uh, configuration. I don't know whether it would be like an extra oxygen molecule, but it's profoundly healing water and exquisitely pure. And the mountains there are, are covered. They're small mountains. They remind me in some ways of the eastern mountains. They are small mountains, but they're, they're forest covered. But underneath that, what we've discovered over the years is that it's white quartz. So there's this magnetic, amazing, magical white quartz mountains that the water runs through. So the springs that come out of that have come through crystal. So it's just an amazing place. But what happened was, as much as I loved the land, I mean, I just adored animals. And maybe part of the reason I went to animals and the land so much was that my family was pretty crazy. You know, a lot of us have some challenging background. And my dad was a violent alcoholic, and things weren't very nice sometimes around the house. So I was happy to get out and get out and be on the land. I had a brother, and so he and I were out a lot. And I also just went out and connected with the animals, whether it was our horses and, and dogs and cats there or going up into the high country and hanging out where the deer were and uh, the elk up higher. Um, I always felt that the land was my home, not necessarily the house I was in. And when I moved out into the world, I guess I didn't really know that everyone didn't have that connection. 
I just kind of assumed it. You know, when you have something so deep in yourself, you don't realize that maybe no one else has that. So I was um, in an interesting group of people in San Francisco in the early days in the 70s, and uh, we had a very powerful teacher. And one day he was he was answering questions for us, which he didn't often do. So we were all raising our hand. We were like 25, 26 years old, all excited about serving the world. And I, so I was usually kind of shy, but I raised my hand and I said, well, what am I supposed to do? And he said, you're a teacher, you idiot. <laughs> and I said, teach what? And he kicked me out of the room. And so that definitely gave me pause to think, what, what is it that I have? And friends of mine that were around me then actually helped me understand what I had that other people didn't, which is that sort of native indigenous love and connection with the land and the springs and the spirit of the land and all those things. And they helped me understand what I had to offer the world. And so I was able to carry that into the world and continue that over time. And then, um, you know, there was all of the awakening of like Carlos Castaneda and all of those things and, and all of that was going on. And, and uh, I'd have always been very much interested in, in the, um, <clears throat> you know, in the land and the spirit of the land. But unfortunately, when I was 10 years old, uh, mom finally made it away from the craziness of that place. And in getting away from the craziness, I also lost heaven as far as I was concerned. That ranch, that beautiful land, that exquisite magic there was to me heaven. And so I lost my heaven. I lost my real home. I lost my connection to the land. And so I've wandered and done a lot of things. But one of the issues I've always had in my life is about home. So when we left the, the land when I was a child, it didn't take very long, sadly, for my dad to drink it up, basically. He, uh, he lost the ranch. And instead of selling it to the bank, he went next door, thankfully, and said to the rancher there, Pete, would you like to have my place? And it's an absolutely gorgeous place. And, of course, Pete, who was a very well-to-do rancher, said, oh, my gosh, yes, Lee, I'd love to buy it. And so he bought our moccasin place, our old uh, home ranch. And my dad left then, and our family lost that. But over the years, I would go home a lot, go back to that area, and I'd always go over to Pete and Helen's place. And their place, when he bought our place, it made his place kind of a like a U. So there's their home place on one beautiful Spring Creek, and then it goes up into the mountain, and there are pastures and stuff all along the bottom of the mountain. And then over and down another Spring Creek is the Moccasin Place, which is our old place. And it became one of the special pastures and a real wonderful part of the land. But when I would go back there, Pete was very clear that it wasn't our kids' fault that we lost that place, you know. He knew that it was our home and that we loved that place. And he always said to me, this is your home. You know, it's always your home, which was just so wonderful to me. Well, then over the years, Pete died and um, left the place to his his wife. And um, she was, a, and his stepchildren, Tana and her brother. And so over the years that then stayed with that family who were always welcoming of me. So then part of what would happen, and I didn't know this till later on, Tanaz, well, maybe six, seven, eight years younger than me. So I would go home there and uh, sit around the table that was one of the tables that was my childhood table at the old ranch. And uh, we'd sit around there and talk and I was beginning then to teach and I was doing my camps my Eagle Song camps, the ones that you came to, Pam, and uh, working in the wilderness and teaching uh, spiritual teaching from the Native American and indigenous perspective. And I would talk about that, and Tana said her eyes would get just big because she didn't get to talk about anything like that. She didn't get to talk about her half-breed Sioux background. She didn't get to talk about spirit. She didn't get to talk about anything. She just got to work hard and shut up and get busy kind of thing. So she was inspired by my life, and she said, if she can do it, I can too. So uh, when Pete died and she and her mom inherited the place, she began uh, doing retreats and things there, very much like I was doing at uh, Blacktail Ranch, and she named the place Sacred Ground. 
and uh, really began to pay attention to the sacredness of the land there in a way that wasn't so much before. And while Pete had been alive and held it, he had cattle, sheep, horses, ranching land, farming land. He just had an amazing amount of things going on. He had taken very, very, very good care of things. But when he died and left it to his wife, she was kind of sick of that. And so she wanted to go to town and live a different life. And she leased a lot of that out to people. And if any of you have ever had that experience, when you lease land to someone, they actually don't care about it. They'd like to eat every every blade of grass, take everything off of it they can, and then they leave. And they don't care. So over the years, what began to happen was the land began to degrade. A lot of it was sold off, especially the farming land was sold off, and the pastures were in bad shape, and things were not good there. So I had been back and forth there visiting and spending time and hanging out over the years. And um, one of the things that happened then was uh, Tana, who had had a business out in the world, there was a crash, and she lost her business, so she ended up going home and being there full time. <coughs> Excuse me. So she, in a sense, inherited that land, beat up, just in terrible shape. And she didn't want to be a cattle rancher, so she wasn't going to bring anything like that back in. Uh, and so she was just there doing some retreats and things. And someone decided that it would be wonderful for her to have buffalo, so they gave her full buffalo. And they also gave her a couple paint horses and said, you need those too. So there was plenty of land. All in all, there's 3,500 acres on that ranch. And so uh, they gave her those buffalo. Well, over the years, the horse herd grow, grew and the buffalo herd grew. And that became her primary focus is taking care of them. So then... What happened during those years is she hadn't been left any money that the family had spent all of that, it seemed, by the time she inherited. And she ended up with a lot of land and really no money to care for it. Uh, you know, there are taxes and, and leased land payments and, and, you know, doing the farming or whatever, having someone else do that, um, you know, getting hay for the winter for the horses and all of that. And she was in dire straits many, many times. Uh, trying to keep that place together, but she persisted, and all of us helped. We raised money and and uh, helped in any way we could. And so, in the early days, um, as the buffalo herd grew, you know, it grew from four, and then and then eight, and pretty soon sixteen, and twenty, and pretty soon fifty, and sixty, and pretty soon a hundred. And um, in the early days, she had to feed the buffalo, so we had to find money to to feed the buffalo. So there was an incredible strain, and also. Uh, buffalo don't necessarily like those old fences or even pay attention to them if they're old fences the cattle have they just they just lean against them and push them and, and go you know they're they're just used to roaming so they would just they'd be out on the neighbor's land and in downtown the little Indian village and you know it was just incredibly intense because she was trying to keep those buffalo there and pretty soon she found out that it cost $1,500 a a mile to put buffalo fence in and she had to fence all of that whole area for buffalo so things were mighty tough but over the years then things began to change and she showed me something that was very interesting she showed me an old picture of the land one area of the land when she got the land was she said it had been eaten down so much that there was bare dirt, about a fourth inch tall red plant. And she doesn't know what that red plant was, but whatever that wonderful plant was, it was hanging in there and trying to keep some cover on that land that had been absolutely, totally overgrazed. And during that time when the overgrazing happened, the, um, the spring started to dry up everything started to go dry and the pastures were no good and all of that. And so Tana said she couldn't even stand to look at that. She, she didn't put any cattle on there or anything, but she just left that land. She, she said it was difficult to see how damaged it had been. And so she just left that and let it be. 
but she let the buffalo come onto the land. And um, so over the years, there's been some pretty amazing happenings there. And those are the things I mainly want to focus on because um, what's happened there has been very magical and it's been based in some very profound principles that I want to talk about. And well, Brooke, this is this is really exciting that you're sharing. You know, I've you've never I've never heard this story before. I, this is the first time I'm hearing the whole big long story. So this is really <laughs> wonderful. And so thank you so much for sharing this. I can't wait to hear more. So I think that in a way, the most exciting part is to come here. So what what Tana understood and began to practice. And what we practiced together anytime I was there and, and worked together on uh, was really the remembering of White Buffalo Woman. When White Buffalo Woman, when White Buffalo Calf Woman came to the Lakota people and gave the message that she gave for all people, she came talking about holiness. And holiness is not a bearded guy in the sky that you talk to on Sunday. Holiness means the whole thing, the whole of creation. When the Great Mother womb, the dark void womb, uh, joined with the light and created everything from the galaxies right down to the very lacy edge of every leaf. That wholeness, that bowl, that's what the red catlinite bowl of the pipe represents is everything in creation is there and every bit of it is to be honored and cared about and loved. And, you know, I'm sure many people that are listening have a sense of that, that really this uh, one of White Buffalo Woman's corollaries to her law of holiness is whatever we do to any other thing or being in the circle of life, we do to ourselves, for we are one. It's one holy, whole circle. And I love that the name of your organization turns out to be one, (laughs) Uh, that reminder that it's about the oneness and the wholeness. So that sense of oneness and wholeness and holiness and honoring and respecting all life was the basis of what uh, sacred ground uh, became about. And the wonderful thing is that much more than me, Tana is very much a seer. She she hears the wind. She, you know, the the buffalo talk to her. The the ancestors of the land speak to her. Um, you know, she really hears very, 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 very deeply. And I honor her so much for that because she's willing to listen. And so listening to the land, she for a while had, had people come there and help. And pretty soon she didn't even have the money for that. So she's been on the land by herself, that big piece of land with 160 buffalo now uh, for seven years. And so she has been able to be very quiet. Sometimes, whether she liked it or not, she would. She hasn't been off of that place overnight. She's been off of there one night in seven years. And so that gave her, although challenging in some ways, it gave her the opportunity to still herself there and to be very aware of the life and the intelligence of life there. And so she has been able to listen to and watch uh, the buffalo, to see what they're doing, to talk to them, basically, to, to hear from them, and to recognize the interconnectedness of everything. And I think she understood that it's like, one, when we're working with sustainability and really wanting to honor the, the life, one, we remember that holiness, that we are one with everything. And then it makes sense that, you know, we're aware then. We wake up, we see everything as alive and begin to honor it as alive and having its own really special place in the circle of things. And then it's about connecting. You know, it's one thing to look and observe and go, oh, there's a tree over there. And it's a different thing to awaken to the spirit and the life and the intelligence of the trees or the land or the the you know the buffalo or whatever it might be and i know pam you do some wonderful work with the spirit and the aliveness of things that there's so much more than the surface of things the the physicality of things there's so much more so to make that connection to say hello i am 
I'm family with you. You know, I'm, I'm one with you. I want to open to you. And I think then the next thing is listening. It's so easy for us to talk, but not so easy for us to listen. So to really quiet ourselves and simply listen. And going into that deeper part of ourselves, that is uh, something I teach a lot about now, which is about the older brain, the, the deep intelligence of the ancient brain that's in the back of our brain and down the spinal column, the intelligence that has brought us here today, the intelligence of everything in life, of all of evolution, all of our human experience, all of that intelligence lives in the deeper quiet and in the physical sensations of the world. And so really listening and, and um, being willing to hear what's going on. And I get a kick out of, uh, Tana tells a lot of fun stories. There's a, a, a kind of a wooded ridge up in a certain place, and it's very clear to her, and it's an old tradition, that the little people, uh, you know, we have spirit people, these kind of big-headed, small people that, that uh, live in parts of the land. And there are several areas there that they, that they live in where I've vision quested and other things. And so we honor that place. And when we go there, we ask to come into that forest and we, we honor them. But not long ago, when she was doing a meditation, basically they said to her, well, you know, it's fine to acknowledge we're here. Why don't you talk to us? Why don't you ask us stuff? We're intelligent, we're smart, we're amazing. Talk to us. Don't ignore us. And I thought that was so interesting. And now she talks to them, visits with them, you know, listens to them, asks them in her spirit way for their intelligence, just like she talks with everything else on the land. So there's all this wonderful intelligence and information that comes from all of that. And so our connection to the land I think is one of love. Love is about bonding. It's about about connection, uh, you know, coming into loving, open uh, contact with and interaction with. So that way of being has become the basis of the life at sacred ground. And so then I want to bring it a little more up to date now. So I was there not long ago, and we were... It, it was a beautiful spring. There had been a lot of water. And we walked out into most of those pastures, and we actually took pictures of me standing in the field, you know, in the meadows, with the grass coming up above my outstretched arms. And so the land has come back to richness. And part of how that's happened is the buffalo, the intelligence of the buffalo. Because when she first got the place, she put in a lot of interior fences. I mean, 3,500 acres is a lot of territory. And many of you know about Alan Savory's holistic land management, where you really want to have animals graze heavily on one part and then go and leave it and let the grasses come back. And there's a whole process of renewing the land that way. Well, what she didn't realize is the buffalo already know how to do that. This big herd knows how to move. And so they were just aggravated by the fences and they were constantly breaking down even those big buffalo fences she put in. So over the years, she's realized one of the things we're doing now is taking out those fences because the buffalo have the intelligence to, as any big herd, they come into an area, they eat it down, they trump it, they poop on it, they, you know, they fertilize it, they break down all the old grasses and things, and they leave it then for the rains and life to renew it, and all of a sudden the, the grass is turning into just exquisitely rich grassland, and the wildflowers are coming back and all of that. So what they do then is move on somewhere else and graze that down, and leave their, all their droppings and all of that to nurture and fertilize. And they move, they know how to move across that land. And so in the years that they've been there, they have turned that land into an absolutely verdant meadow. The whole place is stunningly beautiful. Now there are some places that are drier and there's a little yucca and there's a little more dry grass. There's some of course that are wetter and there's, there's deeper grass of various kinds, but in every place, there's wonderful, wonderful grass. And she was saying the other day, I don't know why they're leaving that alone. They're always over on that one area, and they haven't even touched 
the grass on the areas over here. <clears throat> well, when she really paid attention, they were leaving that for winter because they knew that the wind blew the, the snow off of that area so that it was much easier to dig down and get the grass in the wintertime in that area than it was in some of the kind of valleys and the lower areas that filled with snow. So they grazed those out and left the higher open plains so that that's where they had grass in the winter. And so they have this incredible intelligence. And it's also interesting that the buffalo are known as the giveaway animal. And you know, on the plains, for plains people, when they interacted with the buffalo, when they harvested the buffalo, they used the hides for their teepees, they used the hooves for, uh, and the horns for spoons, they used the hooves for glue, they, they used everything so that the buffalo gave away so much to, to create the life, to support the life of the people. But also the deeper teachings say that buffalo and other bovine animals also bring through an enormous amount of spirit, that they're just a conduit for spirit into the land and onto the land. And you think of America in, when there were millions and millions and millions and millions of buffalo all across the land, the kind of spirit energy and the kind of richness, the kind of, uh, the kind of tall grasses that the pioneers saw when they came across all of those lands that were turned into a dust bowl. You know, the buffalo have and all other animals, but you know, the buffalo are the major big animals. And so they have this deep, incredible intelligence. So we walked over to the place where she hated to go. Remember, I was saying that it just was dirt and this red, strange um, plant that was trying to hold on there. We walked over there, and there was grass up above my knees wildflowers, verdant wildflowers, and the stream that had died was back again, filling its little banks. It was two or three feet wide and two or three feet tall, just rolling and tumbling and talking and laughing and moving down through that land, and it was absolutely radiantly verdant again. And it makes, it makes tears come to my eyes because it's so glorious to see that land again in its, in its glory. In its, in its original beauty. And the buffalo have been really remarkably helpful with that. So does wow, that this is an amazing story. I, I love to hear when springs come back and, and how they come back. And um, so this is really amazing to hear that, you know, the, the buffalo really helped the, the water come back too. You know, wow. and I think there are wonderful books that, uh, there's a book called Feral, I think it is, that a guy wrote in Scotland. And he had an interesting theory that I had never heard. And it made sense to me having the experience of the buffalo. He said, you know, people think about starting from the ground up, you know, the little things to make a difference in the ecology and to bring things back. He said, you know, he feels like it's really different. He feels like it's the big animals. You bring them back and things begin to turn around. And so there's, there's activity in Scotland to bring back the wolves, much as they've come back into Yellowstone Park, that balance the animals the, and allow big animals to come back onto the land and all that kind of thing. And there's an interesting proposition in Montana called the Open Range. And out across the, the eastern part of Montana, it's pretty dry land. And, of course, they've farmed it. And it's, it's really, in many ways, in trouble. They're, they're not doing well with their farms and ranches. They're having a hard life. And so someone came in and proposed, which was outrageous to everyone in the beginning, why don't we make this, why don't we all put our land in and make this whole of eastern Montana an open range? Let's bring back buffalo. Let's bring back the natural animals that were here and let them have it and let them change this back to the verdant prairie that it was. And then we'll, of course, need to find a way to, to divide up and, you know, do harvest and whatever in some way to, to make a living for the people that gave their land. And I think it's absolutely incredibly intelligent that we do that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, we're learning so much from that and about listening and learning. And I want to take you to another part of the learning there that, that was a little more difficult in some ways. Um, oh, I want to tell you, first of all, though, uh, it's been a hard winter up there. It was like 20 below just recently on the ranch. <clears throat> and uh, I was interacting with Tana. And uh, 
So she'd get out there whenever she could and get through the drift, she'd get out there and she'd take, she still gets some bales of hay from one part of the land. So she had these great big, you know, these enormous round bales that are, you know, five or six feet tall. And she takes them out in the big truck and, and she rolls them out. And she said, what's funny is, is the buffalo look at them and they go, oh, whatever. And pretty soon they come over and they play with them and they knock them around like big balls. And they, they're just totally not interested in eating them because they have created the pastures and the way of life there that they are fat. Even in the wintertime, they have stayed fat through this hard winter. They're doing fine. And, you know, they eat some of the hay. They lay down in it and make beds. And, you know, they have a lot of fun with it. They enjoy it. They feel loved by Tana offering it to them. But it's just kind of funny. She just gets a kick out of it because it's not like they go, oh, we're hungry. Give us some food. It's like, okay, whatever. Let's roll these babies around. I, I call them um, buffalo donuts uh, because they just they play with them, basically. And it's such a wonderful statement about how rich their life is. And, of course, their life is rich there because they've been so loved. You know, she has put her whole life into taking care of them. And that leads me into the next part of the story, because for years, the old house is falling down. Um, you know, half the time she didn't have what she needed, but she made sure that the buffalo and the horses got fed. And sometimes that took everything she had and even borrowing money and scraping and, you know, all of the things that we do when we're, we're trying to take care of something. And so she hasn't had so much in her life, but the buffalo have this amazing 3,500-acre, gorgeous, there are 15 pure springs on that land, 15 beautiful sources of water coming out of the hills and the side hills there. And the more the the grass comes back, the more there are seeps that literally come out of little hillsides. Evidently, the, the layers of crystal, it's starting to come down through those layers, and it just comes out on a little hillside. All of a sudden, there's a little seep, and pretty soon it turns into a pretty good spring. And also, the buffalo do something interesting, which I didn't know until uh, recently. They make buffalo wallows. And you know, a buffalo wallow is, is um, oh, probably 12 feet or so across a circle where they've rolled in there and sometimes they get to be three or four feet deep after years of them rolling in them and so uh, what happens is in the springtime when it rains they fill with water well water magnetizes water and they're turning some of those buffalo waters into springs the water is magnetizing water up from the ground and into those buffalo wallows comes water and makes a spring now, is that amazing? Wow, that is amazing. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. So more and more, hmm. there's water on the land. And here's another kind of a cute thing. Um, it just happened that Tana got the upper part of the ranch, which is the more beautiful mountain country, and her brother was given the more farming land, and he's not been happy about that over the years. And he's down downhill from where she is. And he's just, let's just say he's not been a pleasant neighbor. And so he's, he's often doing things that aren't very nice. And what's fascinating is many times when in the fall the, the water gets a little scarce, the water comes down, it keeps coming down the springs, it comes down as a trickle coming down, and right at the edge of her land where his begins, it goes into the ground and dries up. Hmm. Wow. So his, it's like his anger, his meanness, instead of cooperating and caring and sharing, he has not done that, and the water seems to respond to that, which I think is just remarkable. Hmm. So anyway, I want to go on to the other part that I want to share with you. So over the years, then, Tana has given pretty much everything to take care of this buffalo family. I'm going to get a drink here. Excuse me. <clears throat> and mean, that land has never seen a spray. Maybe some people... You know, 10 miles from there might have sprayed a field or something, you know, which has some effect. But basically, there's a mountain behind it. The rest of our family ranches went up around that mountain. And there's just basically nothing but beautiful wild land around there. So here's this exquisite, pure water springs, gorgeous land. The buffalo have a magical place to live. And so 
Tana has never been willing to harvest even one of them for her own food, not one. And people would say, hey, you should be harvesting those buffalo and selling them or whatever. She goes, no way, no way. These are my family. I'm not going to do it. So she was sitting up on the hill one day, and the buffalo started talking to her, and they said, you know, do you remember the whole thing about the, the circle of life, how we receive and we give and someone else receives and they give and then they receive and then they give and you know how that goes, that circle of life thing, that's the wisdom, that's part of this land. And she goes, yeah, yeah, I understand that. And they go, well, I don't think you do. She says, what? And they said, you don't allow us to give away. You don't allow us to give back. You have given your life. You don't have much because you have made sure we have everything we need. We have paradise here, and your house is falling down. What's that? What's that about? So they really took her to task, and she's going like, oh, no. And they said to her, you need to begin to harvest us. You need to begin to take, you need to receive back from us for what you have given. And I tell you, that was probably one of the harder lessons Tana has ever ever received. Hmm. But she listened, and she tried to figure it out, and she prayed about it, and she asked about it, and there was just no, no, nope, nope, nope. What needs to be done is you need to uh, receive the gift we want to give, which is some of our family, to you to be harvested, to serve your, you, to serve your food, and to uh, give away to others who might want to come and harvest us as well. <clears throat> So that's a tough one. When you love those animals like she's loved them and protected them all those years. But the truth was, even 160 buffalo and that much land, it's it's tough to have enough space and food for them. So she realized that she was pressing the edges of, of her capacity, the land's capacity to take care of the buffalo even. And so she she began... And they said, do it in a ceremonial way. Do it in a sacred way. You know the old way. Do it the old way. And the old way is that when you're wanting to harvest, when you're wanting to ask life to give you back something to feed yourself and to feed your family, you uh, do ceremony, you cleanse yourself, and you pray and you say, Buffalo Nation, my family is hungry. I have need. And I'm asking that someone give away. And I, in turn, offer my life to serve all of life. I will, you know, as Tana has certainly already done and proved, she has offered her life to serve the life there. And so they're making that offering back. So she began very gently. She found some some fellows who were really uh, excellent hunters to be there to, to pay attention and take take a hunter out if a hunter wanted to come and so that they could really monitor the process. And so what they began doing was that uh, very, very slowly, at first just one or two, but they had someone come who was a hunter, who, was a, who knew what he was doing in hunting, and they came to harvest a buffalo. She sold the whole buffalo, and therefore she doesn't have to vaccinate. You know, when you, in Montana, when you're going to sell buffalo meat, you have to vaccinate, which is a horrible thing. But she sells a whole buffalo. The person buys that buffalo. How they, what they do with it is their business. And, of course, they, they do it for the meat and the hide and the horns and all of that. So anyway, when they come, when the hunter comes, they come into a room that's a buffalo altar. And they are, she gives them a talking to. And she spends about 40 minutes talking to them about our oneness with things, honoring and respecting them communicating with them, communing with them, becoming one with them, asking, you know, being willing to be a sacred hunter, to honor, your, you know, your, to give away in your life, to take care of things. So she really gives them a talking to in many ways and does ceremony. She smudges them. She smudges their, their guns and all of that and asks them to uh, kneel down and pray and ask for an animal to offer itself. Mm-hmm. 
And so they, you know, they've heard of what's going on. So when they come, they're kind of prepared for that. But she said they, you know, they'll do that. They, they quiet themselves and whatever they're doing in there, she's telling them that they need to be asking for that animal to give itself to them. And so they go out, you know, I don't know if they believe it or not. It's like, whatever. But, you know, they're going hunting and they're excited about it. So Don, the our sharpshooter, takes them out and he says, okay, what you're going to do is you're going to sit here. They go out near the buffalo herd. The buffalo herd's down a ways. And uh, the buffalo can see them. You know, they're used to people being out there. But they sit up on a ridge and Don says to the hunter, you quiet yourself now and you go into communion with that buffalo. You're connected already to the buffalo that's yours. Go into communion and talk to it, honor it, send love to it, invite it to do this final rite of passage with you, that you're going to to be the one. And so the hunter does that and they're quiet for whatever, you know, and he said, don't even dare to take a shot until I tell you to. And so before too long, all of a sudden, a buffalo comes and moves up and comes closer and comes closer and comes closer and stands just a ways out from them. And already the hunter is like looking like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And so they say that when you really watch the buffalo, that buffalo stands there and, of course, it always brings up tears for me. That buffalo stands there and, and looks around like it's going, look at this beautiful place I live. Look at what absolute gratitude I have for being here, for being on this place, for having the opportunity today to serve my people, to serve the whole circle of life by offering myself just a kind of a, they say just radiant energy comes off of those buffalo when they do that. And they stand there a moment and Don says, hold it, hold it, get ready, but just, just be in a place of honoring. And here's the thing that's mind-blowing. When that buffalo is ready, it, does, it makes an interesting move because the only, only shot that can be taken is a shot in the back of the head where they'll go down very fast and quickly with no suffering. They can't take a shot unless it's like that. So the buffalo will stand there and do whatever it does, and then there's a moment and that buffalo turns around with its side to the hunter and turns its head away and literally opens its head to take the shot. And boom, the shot is taken and the buffalo goes down. And by that time, hunters, sharpshooters, the sharpshooters are there in case they would miss some way and you know they want the buffalo not to suffer. But these guys are good hunters. And so anyway, the hunters are crying, everybody's crying. Everybody is just stunned by what's happened, by the fact that this animal gave itself willingly with honor and power and beauty. It gave itself. And so then what happens is the, the other, some of the other buffalo come up, usually the ones that are related to that buffalo. They come up and stand by it. Sometimes they lick it. Sometimes they just stand. And it's like they're just honoring it. They're just, just loving and honoring that buffalo and then they move away and the hunters go and do their offerings they do offerings of tobacco and cornmeal and and if if they're willing to not this to them you should get down there and put your head against the head of that buffalo bless them thank them and listen because they have incredible wisdom for you and not so many have done that i don't think and i think part of it is they're going to break down and cry and cry and those guys are a little bashful about that but they do have this incredible sense of honoring and love and gratefulness, and it changes their lives. Hunters' lives are being changed every time they walk on sacred ground. They understand something about life, about connection, about sacredness, about love, about honoring, about, um, you know, one of the things that the buffalo said is when you take one of our family, you become our family. You know, you're a part now of this family. And you need to remember that and honor it and always honor and respect us in that way. And so the, the sharpshooters have a way to pick that buffalo up and out they go and, and they, they move away then and leave the herd at peace. 
So that's the sacred hunt. And that's what the buffalo... Wow. Thank you so much for this story. I'm just, I'm just sitting here weeping. Um, I know, it's me too. so powerful. It's just, you know, that's the way it used to be, that everything was treated in such an honorable way and, in, and that we were all connected in that way. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, to be able to, to know that this is um, happening again is just like, oh, thank goodness, <laughs> you know. Um, well, you, you so know, much, Brooke. It's so exciting because, um, you know, it's starting to spread. Recently, there were some hunters from a big hunters magazine there. And she makes them pledge. She said, are you willing to be a sacred hunter? And they were so excited. They said, yes. You know, we love these animals. We work to preserve them. We, we hunt them, but we love them. We want hunters to have a wonderful, deep, rich experience. And we've never thought of it as spiritual, but now we do. Now we get it. So, so the word is spreading out there, and I think that, you know, people are down on hunters, and there are some hunters that just want to kill something. But I think not so many are like that. So many really, really admire and love the things that they connect with, and the more they understand how to do it in a sacred way. And, you know, Pam and all of you who are listening, it's not just about a buffalo. It's not yeah. about something with a face. I don't care whether it's a carrot. When we do harvest honorably, when we... Uh, you know, whether we're picking herbs, it's the thing that you and Rosemary Gladstar and all these folks have been talking about for years. It's about honoring. It's about taking care of. It's about stewarding. It's about spirit. It's about holiness. You know, everything, whether it's a, a, a little tiny herb we pick in the field. And by the way, the herbs at Sacred Ground are stunning, Pam. I want you to come and see them. Uh, that anything we take we take that with that same love, with that same remembrance that we're connected to things. And that when we, uh, I think, I wish I had this quote. Uh, there's a quote by Thomas Berry that I think is wonderful. And it says something like this. It says, in order to live, we must break the skin and, and see the blood of life. When we do that with sacredness, with honor and respect, it's a sacrament. And when we do it with unkindness or meanness or unconsciousness, it's a sacrilege. Mm, And that to me is everything, a flower, a garden plant, you know, whatever it may be that that we do. You know, earth is about things eat things, you know, the mold eats something and the that eats something eats that. And, you know, it's the, you know, the worm is eaten by the bird and the bird is eaten by the cat and the cat, you know, on around it, it goes around that great circle. And it's kind of strange. It's a little, it's poignant, you know, that things die in order for other things to live. But the really important piece is that sacrament, is that honoring, the sacredness we give to things. Yeah. And so I'd like to tell you one more quick story. I know we're coming close to our end, but I have one more quick story to tell you. And this is about listening and Tana's willingness to listen. So she was listening to the, the, the ancestors of the land and they said to her, you need to take that big crystal you have. It's a big white quartz crystal that she's had on her home altar for as long as I can remember. And she had built a medicine wheel. It's a great big old medicine wheel out on on a kind of a barren hill. It's a kind of a funny place in a way, but it's a great big wheel. And the year before when I was there, we had really, you know, the buffalo moved through it and the horses and they kicked the stones and stuff. So we had set it up, every stone touched every stone. And it's just really fun for us to take a day and do that. But I noticed there wasn't so much at the center. So I took a big red rock that had been part of the circle and put it at the center and it still didn't seem quite exciting enough, you know. It wasn't. That's a big old wheel. It's, you know, it's uh, over 100, 100 feet or more across, I think. And so, anyway, we left it that way. So one day, the spirit said to Tana, "You need to take that big, big. It's about a foot and a half tall white quartz crystal, out and put it at the center of that medicine wheel." And so Tana's good. She says, "Okay, okay." All right, I'll do that. And so she called a friend of hers. And, well, she couldn't call her. She up, This friend lives on one of our other old ranches way up in the mountains. So she took a drive up there. And when she went up, 
she had to cross the other part of the U that I was talking about where the old moccasin place, our old home place was. And the buffalo were just all in there, just laying out. They love that. It's just this beautiful valley with water. So she went on up by and she went up to Star's place, told her and said, will you come down and help me? That's a big old thing. And I, th- I just enjoy you doing it anyway. So then when she came back down past that same area, she looked up into the old moccasin place and the buffalo were on the move. And they, the way they go is the big bulls first, the cows and calves, the young bulls, and then the young females. And they were just strung out moving. And so they do that. She didn't know. They were headed out somewhere. They were going up around the U and headed somewhere. So anyway, she went home. The next day, it took till about 11 o'clock till Star got there. So they got on one of the four-wheelers. Star got the big old crystal on her lap, and out they went. When they got to the wheel, guess who was there? There were 160 buffalo on the wheel. Wow. And Tana was just mind-blown. She's going, you know, I've been here long enough, and I, I, I don't know why this surprises me, but it surprises me. They were there waiting. So anyway, she shooed them off, and kind of they moved them off and got them out of the way and kind of reset the wheel a little bit where they'd knock things around, and they put that big crystal out there and got it kind of centered. It's a little wobbly, so they couldn't quite get it you know, set too well, but they put it there in the center and they moved off and the buffalo came back in and they would chew them off a bit and they come back in. And she said it was the most amazing thing because they would go in and they would snuggle that thing. They would nuzzle it. They would lick it. And I have a few pictures of it. And she said the funniest part of it was whenever one of them kind of got done being right there at the center, they would turn around and come out and they'd be like, their eyes were rolling practically. They were just kind of almost staggering. It was like they were drunk. (laughs) And she just cracked up. She said it was the funniest thing. And so anyway, they they just said, okay, whatever. We'll just leave it. They kept knocking it around and stuff, but it's like whatever. So anyway, they couldn't hurt it that much. So anyway, she went back. Star had to go home, and she went back and had some lunch, and then she came back out onto the land. And... They were there doing the same thing, and she said they had gone into order then. The big bulls were in there, and the big bulls spent their time one at a time and then, or several at a time, and then they went out, and then the cows. I've got a picture of a cow and calf in there that I'll have to share with all of you someday. And uh, then, you know, on and on. And she said for four days they stayed on that circle. They'd go have some, a little bite to eat and some water, but they came back, and they stayed right there for four days. So she asked her guide, she said, what? in the world is going on and they said well you listened well and what's been happening here is that there's been a generation of energy and when you made that wheel we had you make that because there's a vortex there and it was time to open a vortex of light and they said when you placed that crystal there you opened a vortex of light and those buffalo have been nurturing themselves and feeding and absorbing that light and once they filled themselves and, and fed themselves with it, they go back occasionally now. But once they had done that, then they, they wandered on and they were fine. So that's the kind of magic that happens there at Sacred Ground. And we're really excited because the exciting piece, sort of the, the, the ongoing and exciting piece for me is that when it gets warm enough this summer, I'm headed back to make my home there again. So yeah. I'm going home with the capital H <laughs> back to that beautiful land of crystal springs and uh and magic and and uh, buffalo woman's holy ways and uh and we feel like it's spreading it's starting to the ranchers around are waking up the the green and beauty that's there that people have been able to see when it's been a drought everywhere else they're starting to go wow i think that crazy lady has something going on and uh (laughs) and they're you know they're starting to listen and and the spirits tell us that it, it, it will just spread, that 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 will be an incredibly prosperous area. And so what we're going to do is, again, we're going to begin bringing people in there uh, on retreat. I'll be doing individual retreats this summer with a few people, but we don't hardly have any um, uh, facilities. It'll be very primitive, but I'll bring a few people in. And over time, we're hoping to create a center there that we can bring, um, especially we'd like to bring in corporate leaders and and even political leaders and others to be influenced by the magic there 
um, so that we can begin really transforming large segments of what's going on in the world. And part of what happens there is based in, I think, the crystal magic. We see what seem to be um, UFOs, anyway, they're unidentified flying light uh, that come in and go back up into that mountain. And the guides say that they come in to recharge their vehicles there. So it's like, I don't know, but that's interesting. And a guy who was a physicist, he retired at Canadian physicist, very successful, retired at 55, and he's been going around the world um, working with ley lines, you know, the energy lines of the earth and and, uh, doing work on that. And when he came to sacred ground, he said, I have never in all the world that I have been around and touched really deeply, I've never felt a vibration higher than here at sacred ground. So it's a very, very magical place. The energy is clearing, cleansing, transforming, and, um, and we hope to be able to invite more of you there over time uh, to experience that. And uh, I'm pretty excited about going home. Wow. That, what an amazing story this is. And, and I, you know, having known you for many, many years now, I know how important home is to you. So, like, when you say you're going home with a capital H, I, again, it just makes me cry because I'm like, good, finally. <laughs> it's been a long time coming, but you're going home, girlfriend. <laughs> so that's yeah. great. That's great. Well, our time has come to a close, um, but I want to uh, mention to everybody that uh, Brooke has been instrumental in helping us with our Spring Equinox Ceremony, which is next Saturday, the 23rd of March. Um, and this is, a, you know, you can practice, do this ceremonial practice on your own, or you can gather with a group of people on your land or whatever land you might want to go to to bring this ceremony there. And it's about singing to the land. So that's one of the pieces that's come to us in this past year is that how important it is to sing to the land and how singing to the land can also bring back the springs and can also bring back the grasses and can also help the logged areas come back to health, which is where I'm going to be going for with some folks for my uh, ceremony. But Brooke has been instrumental in that she um, she gifted us with one of her songs to, um, to, to include in our ceremony. You can go on our website, which is uh, www.natureevolutionaries.com, and you can go to the Singing to the Land ceremony page, and on that page you will be able to listen to Brooke's song. You will be able to download the words of the song. You also will be able to download instructions to do a ceremony if you feel like you need that. There's, there's no real set way to do this. Um, we're, we're offering suggestions, but you certainly can do whatever you want. So Brooke is going to close our, our time together right now with that song that she um, – is one of her songs that's, that I've, I've sung this song from Brooke for years, and now I'm so excited to be bringing it into ceremony in this way. So, Brooke, if you would be willing to, to close our time together with, with that lovely song and a prayer, I would really appreciate it. Well, I would love to do that, and I think it's so important to remember that, uh, you know, whatever we do, wherever we walk, uh, when we carry high energy, when we carry love, when we carry honoring and respect and all of that, we're, we're really offering a blessing and and uh, we're being a blessing rather than a destructive force on the land. So, uh, you know, being walking as a blessing, I think is very powerful. So I'll just sing a couple lines of this and, and uh, share this with you and invite you to for sure uh, do this kind of ceremony and continuing ceremonies and love for the land. So, I am blessing the land as I walk. I am blessing the land as I walk. I plant flowers on the path as I walk. I plant flowers on the path as I walk. Oh, I'm blessing the land as I walk. I am blessing the land as I walk. I sing joy to the land as I walk. I sing joy to the land as I walk. Oh, I'm blessing the land as I walk. I am blessing the land 
I call rain to the land as I walk. I call rain to the land as I walk. Oh, I'm blessing the land as I walk. I am blessing the land as I walk. I am blessing the land as I so, Creator, we end this time with great thanksgiving. Bless each of us. Bless our hearts. Bless our love that we might love and honor and respect and reflower this absolutely gorgeous Lady Gaia, our mother and partner planet. Ho, Metakriasen, all my relations. Metakriasen, all my relations. Thank you so much, Brooke. I, I can't thank you enough for this time together. It's been really special. I also want to remind everybody that this has been recorded so that you can listen to it again, or if you've got friends or neighbors or whoever that um, weren't able to be on the call today, let them know that they can uh, go to our website, natureevolutionaries.com, and go to our teleseminar page, and the recording will be up by tomorrow. So you can listen to it again. I also want to remind everybody that next month in April, that's on April 14th, we will have with us David Haskell, who's the author of The Songs of Trees, a very, very special man who's written a beautiful book about the trees. So please be sure to join us next month for that. Uh, and I also just want to say that, you know, this is free for you all. All of our teleseminars are free, and you can listen to them whenever. Um, so we do need money to, to work, uh, to do this work. And we would really appreciate a donation. If you've just got, you know, five bucks or something that's a little bit extra this month, it means the world to us because it means we can keep on bringing these offerings to you. So I just want to thank you. Thank you, Brooke, so, so, so much from the bottom of my heart. And thank you to all of our listeners today for joining us. And we are so blessed to be on this beautiful earth at this time. And I do hope that you can participate in our ceremony next week in Singing to the Land. Thank you so much and have a great day. Bye-bye for now.